Black revolutionaries, distillery owners, Italian fashion retailers, and Motown Grammy winners all share their best stories never before told in any other media outlets on Detroit Is Different. Visit DetroitIsDifferent.com or download the Detroit Is Different app on Apple's App Store or Google's Play Store. All right, we are here back in the Detroit Is Different podcast studios, and it's getting a little bit hot outside. But like a lot of things that happen in and around the city of Detroit, that doesn't stop more of the culture from happening, more of the people from getting active and more things going on with the people for the people and somebody with the people and for the people today from one of the people I look up to all time big homies. And Teresa Kelly suggested that I interview this gentleman. She said he's just a phenomenal guy. He does this and he does that. And he has a story to tell and what we're doing and we're fighting in Highland Park is is real mr morales how are you today not bad how are you good 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 so let's talk a little bit about your family and your roots to this metro detroit region how did you guys all get here um i grew up um on the west side of detroit over in uh the woodrow wilson uh leslie um near davison right across the bridge from highland park so you grew up basically right over here yeah um okay now you're talking about you you're here when did your family first make its way to detroit how how many generations deep are you detroit well my um my father grew up here um, okay so that's two so, generations yeah and his family was from down south so where whereabouts down south uh virginia virginia yeah. okay okay what's um what part of virginia did uh do you did the your grandparents come from you don't even know, but no. you just know Virginia was the way that they made their way up here. What did your dad do? Uh, he worked at the factories. Okay. Yeah, he worked at uh, well, he worked at Ford, he worked at Chrysler, and he kind of settled in at uh, Chevy. Okay, so he actually worked for the big three. He, mm-hmm. he went from he did Ford, GM, and Chrysler. Yeah, I think it was a little easier to jump around back then, but yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. What do you remember about this neighborhood growing up? Oh, this area was a lot different than what it is now. I mean, uh, you know, the streets were clean, the neighborhoods were clean, the, the people knew each other. Uh, you know, you grew up with uh, your neighborhood friends, and it, it turned into your your lifehood friends, and um, you kind of protected each other, looked out for each other. Okay. Did you go to Central High School? Yeah. Okay. Uh, what was Central like back then? Central. It was okay back then. I mean, uh, it was. I think it was probably start start on the start of a decline, but uh, it was still pretty decent. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. And I start with a lot of these questions just because Detroit is different. Just covers a lot of the culture mm-hmm. of a lot of things. And when I think about the culture, I definitely like to go into what was the neighborhood and how uh, the makeup of it. Um, and you you talked about Woodrow Wilson, uh, Leslie, as that's blocks away from here, um, yeah. where where Clements and Rosa Park. So right. when we think about that, that's uh, a, a lot going on. Like the you know even to this day, but hmm. especially I remember back in the day, like the motorcycle club. Right. Um, you know, um, let's see Woodrow Wilson. I mean the Muslim Center that still exists, uh, the Repertory Theater. 
that's right there in that in that neighborhood uh and back then i remember in the 80s per se i don't know when your family made the move but in the 80s on woodrow wilson there were other different like um industrial places like bricklayers uh, a couple auto body shops um some upholstery places some resale shops it was more active even as recent as the 80s growing up when i was a kid than uh, as of today where it's just primarily residential mm-hmm. uh what were the some of the places that you and your friends would frequent when you were a kid um growing up over here well you had a uh, gloria bigham health clinic that was uh mm-hmm. they had a lot of you know health care programs and after school stuff and uh, counseling they had a uh, w davis cut right drugs was over there on the corner and mm-hmm. we had uh i think it was it may have been one of the first black owned I know, that i know of pizza shops over there right over there on uh, glendale and woodrow wilson you had uh ernie clovers you had uh it was a black owned pizza shop over there mm-hmm. hmm. do yeah. you remember the name of it i can't you know i can't remember was it good pizza it was real good pizza. Yeah, oh, okay. we, we used to go there quite often. We used to have a dry cleaners right across the street. The community was sort of diverse. We had a, a Chinese import place on the corner that used to uh, distribute rice and uh, mm-hmm. whole grains and stuff like that. They had a company over there that made honey. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I think there was a company that fabricated batteries or did something with batteries. Hmm. Um, so, so yeah, there was a there was a lot, and you know, then we had Stardust Lounge and uh, some other some other businesses all down Woodrow Wilson. So it was a commercial corridor. I remember it sort of being industrial, but it was really a commercial corridor when you were coming up. Yeah, we had neighborhood party stores and uh, different little uh, places you could stop and get something to eat. And that kind of connects me to I remember a bustling commercial corridor throughout the eighties of Highland Park where you're at now right. like Sears Montgomery Ward um Highland Appliance Highland Appliance you used to have um, Red Barn yeah yeah like I remember this even Chantonique's I used to always uh go to Chantonique's to buy music um you know lens shoe repair mm-hmm. uh they brought to back to life a lot of like I, I send all my like Timberland boots there in high school and <laughs> stuff like that uh, that was way back when Dot Netta was there. Um, like Highland Park's Highland Park's essence of a commercial corridor, especially up and down Woodward, in the in, even through like some of the '90s, I remember was was big. So how often were you traveling over there, like riding bikes? Just because I know when you're a kid, sometimes you cross neighborhood lines and you know you end up getting into a fight or something like that. Yeah, well, I used to uh, work out at the Powerhouse Gym. Um, used to go up to Warriors where they used to sell the martial arts equipment and stuff like that. I used to go to Sears on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Um, we used to go to Highland Appliance. Uh, I had a membership at the YMCA. It was a Y over there? Yeah, still, still, it, um, well, the building is still there, but yeah, there was a YMCA and a YWCA. Where, where at? Uh, it's right on, just before Davidson. Oh, okay. Yeah. So okay. It's a shelter. It's a, a men's shelter now, but it 
used to be the YMCA, used to go there and go swimming, use mm-hmm. use the gym, stuff like that. Okay, it, I wonder, is that the building where the bistro is probably? It's probably that. That's the YWCA. Okay. And the YMCA is right across the street. Okay. So what what was happening, because um, I don't know what, what era we're talking about, like, as you're coming up. Is this 70s? Is this 80s? It's the 80s. Yeah. Okay, so in the 80s, just uh, being of age, what was it like uh, back and forth being so close to Highland Park? Were you even traveling out? Because uh, this is also, like, the emergence of, like, Southfield and everything like that. Were you all traveling far, or were you all kind of staying close and being right there? As even in the 80s, as I remember it, I had my um, my older cousins, Tanya and Tam. They were, like, part of some of that first graduating class from Highland Park High School. Mm-hmm. And it was anchored as, like, this huge like mecca of education early on and it had a really good basketball team football team like highland park high it was a lot of effort put into developing it. yeah well i actually attended highland park high for uh one semester hmm. uh back in the 80s but i actually you know i graduated from uh central but okay i, I had a little girlfriend over here so i went over to highland park trying to get close to her that makes sense was he, were you trying to get close or were you trying to make sure nobody else did get close <laughs> well I, w- I was trying to be slick and bypass moms because moms didn't like me too much so this was a way that she couldn't stop us really i got you yeah. i got you so um so what was uh the because the the redevelopment of that high school was big i remember mm-hmm. as a kid because my my cousins that would babysit me they went there yeah what was it like going to like a brand new high school it was un- it was unique because it, it was totally different than anything essential and it was a brand new school and when they first built that high school i mean everything was stated art uh, the swimming pool the cafeteria set up the rooms uh, they had a bookstore they had you know they had a full-size football field and uh, a full-size gymnasium so you know it was pretty awesome in that respect um and uh you know, it was an air-conditioned building. You know, Central didn't have air, so I mean, hey, <laughs> it, was, hey. it was a lot different than uh, Detroit. Yes. So summer school, people was in Central sweating it out. Right. Uh, another reason to pass. But, you know, Highland Park had its own, I mean, uh, the school had its own library, and it was stocked with some, you know, top-notch books, and uh, the teachers were a little, a little different, too. And, mm-hmm. uh, so, I mean, it, it, was a, it was a good thing. Yeah, Central, and this is what's so unique, America's first public high school mm-hmm. was Central High School. So you went to the oldest, and then you went to one of the newest mm-hmm. at the same time, like in your tenure of uh, of going to school. Right, right. And what was the attitude of the students then? Uh, the students was good. I mean, you know, uh, <clears throat> I, I made some friends there too. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it was... The, the atmosphere was different back then. I mean, you know, people knew each other and they were mm-hmm. friends with each other and they all, you know, hung out with each other and, you know, did for each other. Uh, so let's talk about a little bit of today as that connects directly to some of your work with Highland Park and its school system that is, from a public forum, has been non existent for some years now. Yeah. And uh, from a charter function, it's been existing but uh the 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 existence is so so up in the air like like many of the schooling institutions 
So explain a little bit about what's happening with Highland Park schools now. And especially from a standpoint of you saw the the national government even invest into a public school within the Highland Park means um, during your lifetime where you attended. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the high school has been leveled. So we don't, you know, we no longer have a high school anymore. That was uh, a real serious blow to the community. Um, even the uh, junior high schools and the other schools that existed, they're all gone as well. Um, so they went from having a top-notch education system and and uh, area to the to basically not having anything left. Um, so right now, Highland Park has one single school which is the old barber school which is called renaissance academy now um, and it, it houses k through eight so you got a mixture of uh, elementary and junior high school students in that small small area and the atmosphere and uh, the attitude of the, the students and the people in the community it's totally different now so your role let's talk a little bit about your work that you do uh, looking to change this state of affairs that currently exists and provide new opportunities for the families and the children there? Well, you know, I got involved with different things going on in Highland Park. It started, it initiated with the water. Um, the first attack to the community was with the water. Mm -hmm. And it kind of got me engaged in it was really a fight between the people and the state. Um, the same state involvement is what decimated the school system in Highland Park. Uh, they carried a debt at the time that uh, they appointed the emergency manager of $11 million. And instead of helping us in regards to the debt and saving the schools, they came in and they pretty much decimated all of the schools. So they sold the buildings, the properties, the bus yards, the buses, they threw away equipment, uh, you know, computers, books. They, they, they threw away, you know, thousands, if not millions of dollars worth of things that, you know, could have better served the city. And then they sold all of the properties, including the administrative buildings. So <clears throat> it really left us in a bad situation where, you know, even if the, the the financial situation of the city was to turn around. We have nothing left, so now we have to rebuild again from scratch. Um, so who, who are some of the they, as you talk about some of these people that uh, <coughs> stepped in? Well, I mean, there were several emergency managers over the last, what, six years? Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, initially it started out with some of the internals. It was an internal thing in the beginning where we had people that were in charge of the school system that was actually stealing and embezzling money. Hmm. Uh, <clears throat> that goes back to uh, Robert Davis, who, who stole quite a bit of money. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, he ended up doing his time for that. And he still he still owes the city money for that. Uh, but then when the, when the emergency manager came in, they came in and they doubled the debt that existed by taking out emergency loans that the people had no say-so or, mm -hmm. you know, uh, but they still carried the burden and having to pay the debt back. 
So that debt doubled from 11 million to over 22 million, almost 28 million, I think. Mm-hmm. And right now we still carry a debt somewhere between 15 and 19 million, even though we've recently came out of receivership. So the majority of the damage that came came from the state and emergency managers. How many how many young people are in Highland Park right now? You would say they estimate that it's over 2,000, mm-hmm. but of course all of the high school students have no place to go so that means they're displaced so they have to go to school outside the district so they're going to school mm-hmm. in Farmdale and um, you know Oak Park or you know wherever they can get to what's the uh, what's the temperature just throughout the neighborhoods and I know they're estimating it but you know going through Highland Park neighborhoods what do you see are you seeing young people uh, and and for those young people um, being that schools don't exist I can only imagine what the condition of parks and play and recreational places well see you know that's what i'm saying we, we don't have any of that we you know we don't have a rec center that the kids can utilize and go to on a regular basis and you know and the parks are not are not kept up mm-hmm. um so the student you know the, the kids in the community they have to they have to do what they you know whatever they can do to to entertain themselves for the most part mm-hmm. um you know we we've been stripped of nearly everything Mm-hmm. Uh, for the youth or for the community, uh, I mean it, it's really a bad situation. But um, you're talking about a K through eight school that's left uh, running um, roughly about 350 students. We just recently came out of receivership, mm-hmm. but the the board, as it is, decided to hire the emergency manager and give him a job after mm-hmm. coming out of receivership. So they hired this man who was supposed to be initially be considered as a consultant and now he's he's manifested into the the operations manager. They allowed him to write himself. Who is this? This is uh, Kevin Smith. What's Kevin Smith's background? He's an attorney and a CPA and for the most part he has been a career emergency manager. Hmm. Um, he has no education, no background. Um, he has no history of rebuilding or repairing a district. Mm-hmm. And uh, matter of fact, he's, he was instrumental in the closing of the Davis uh, Air Force School hmm. for, the, for the children to, you know, teaching young black and brown children how to fly, fly airplanes. And he closed hmm. that school. So uh, his role there in the relationships uh, and these people putting him in this position, um, this, is, uh, this is definitely eye-opening to me. What are some of the other facts that a lot of people don't know as this whole, um, I guess, you know, people are saying the resurgence of what's happening in Detroit, that corridor of Woodward rides right through Highland Park. It's Highland Park is is a is a bridge walk from my Mm -hmm. home, Um, you know, really a stone's throw in the grand scheme of things. what should what should I be aware of just as a Detroit citizen that's so close to Highland Park of what's happening in Highland Park right now? Well, you know, I, th- I think what what people really need to know is that the state, for the most part, um, habitually has not been our friend, at least not in black and brown communities. Um, you know, the schools, you know, the, the courts ruled recently that, um, you know, that there's, there's no guarantee that the uh, that the state needs to provide a quality education 
um, you know, for for the tax dollars that we pay. Um, mm-hmm. The move has been to to go to charter schools, and most of these charter schools are for profit charter schools. Um, I don't know of any charter school that has performed on a quality level where they're actually educating children. And typically it's not something that's done in the suburban communities. So, you know, they set these schools up to fail. They blame the schools when they don't have the resources and the, and the things that they need in order to teach the children. And then they blame them and then they close the schools down. Hmm. So what you end up doing is creating a pipeline to prison because, you know, these children, are not, they're not being educated. They have no resources. They, they have no recreation, no, no other opportunities. And, you know, the end result is that a lot of these children end up in prison or, you know, in bad situations because of the lack of opportunities that are being provided to them. Well, you've been organizing against this. Yeah. In what ways? And, and who have you been working with? Well, uh, it's really been kind of a fight all on our own because you know the the who's, news media who's the all on our own well you know it, it, it's come down to two people that are on the board that are fighting against the the other board uh, members and trying to get the community involved uh which is me and uh teresa kelly um who's also on the school board uh, one of the problems is that you know a lot of people don't even realize that there's a school left mm-hmm. um and then when you tell them that it's a charter school, then they, they don't understand that it. it's still connected to the district because we're an authorizer of that school. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, the people that are going, you know, the, the school is steadily declining. The people are steadily taking their kids out of that school. Anyone that can leave have pretty much done so. And, and the school numbers are steadily declining because they're not being taught. Um, children with IEPs uh, or behavioral plans or learning disabilities are not being taught. Mm-hmm. Um, they're kicking them out. They're sending them to Detroit after count day. Hmm. So they make sure they get those state dollars and they may get rid of them. Hmm. So with this type of uh, work, as you talk about, it's just almost two people organizing. What have been some of the efforts that you've been leading uh, other than coming to share and talking to people such as myself, willing to give a platform to speak, what are some of the efforts you're doing, and then what are ways people can support? Well, we're, we're trying to get the people aware. That's one thing. Um, we have kind of partnered up with the ACLU, who has been attending most of the meetings and documenting the things that are going on, whether that results into some type of uh, lawsuit or uh, legal action later on down the road. I'm not sure. Uh, at this point, I kind of feel like that's the only legal opportunity that, you know, I mean, the legal opportunity would be the only opportunity that we would have to really fight and make a real difference other than getting the people engaged. Getting the people engaged has been a problem because, uh, I don't know, I, I guess, you know, they're so disenchanted and they really feel like it's nothing that they can do that, uh, you know, that, that they're going to do what they want to do and they just have to accept what comes. So that's, that's been a real challenge as far as getting the people involved. And let's talk a little bit about your involvement. Uh, before this and before working with the water, uh, what, what was your life like? What were you doing? What led for you to take the initiative to uh, get into community advocacy and, and social justice? Well, you know, it started 
I want to say about four or five years ago, and it started with Highland Park and the water issues where, um, because of the state, they shut down our water plant. Um, a lot of people might not realize that Highland Park was pretty self-sufficient and self-sustaining and that they had their mm-hmm. own water plant. And, yeah, um, it's right, uh, it's like right off the freeway. Mm-hmm. If people don't know, like off the service drive of right. the Davidson Freeway, uh, still exists to this day. Yeah, and so with that, with that water plant, Highland Park actually had the potential to sell water to the neighboring communities like Hamtramck, Ferndale, Oak Park, Royal Oak. Um, but that would have been a, a threat to the Great Lakes Water Authority. Now, uh, let's let's talk a little bit in that world, but just more so with you. This fight, before this, like, what was your work? What were you working on? What were you doing with your family? Like, what led you to put the time and investment into community work as opposed to just, you know, living life as many people do? You know, cut the grass, uh, enjoy my family, go to work. Well, see what I was ju- I was basically nobody up until that point. Um, when you say nobody, what what were you I doing? I mean, you know, I I was doing just that. I was with my family, you know, I'm a single father. I got three daughters and a son. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my life revolved around them for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm an artist. So, you know, I I did artwork and uh, murals and things like that. Um, the issue with the water be- became critical because when they when they shut down the water plant, they also stopped sending out water bills. Mm. And so water bills didn't go out for over two years. Mm. And then when the bills started coming, they were in the thousands of dollars. And I mean, people were getting bills as outrageous as thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000. Businesses were getting bills, you know, in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. They couldn't explain the bills. They didn't want to accept anyone's challenge to the bills. They just said you had to pay it. And people that paid, you know, they didn't have any record of who paid and how much they paid. I mean, everything was just in total chaos. And then they started rolling those bills onto people's property taxes. So mm-hmm. now people's homes were endangered. And um, so then, you know, then it became a thing as trying to save your house. Mm. And, you know, you're talking about a community that's basically elderly, handicapped, and, uh, you know, low-income individuals. And, you know, those debts were, you know, just too much to bear. Mm-hmm. And then we found out that when those people were paying the water bills, Highland Park wasn't paying Detroit for the sewage. Mm. So then Detroit sued Highland Park for over $28 million, uh, which still hangs over the city now as a levy. That could be imposed on the people, which means people can end up with fifteen, twenty thousand dollars per home on their property taxes, and they can lose their homes. Hmm. So, <clears throat> the water issue, you know, it became it became more critical and, and it engaged me to have to fight because I mean it became a matter of losing my home. And what a lot of people didn't realize that if uh, if your water gets cut off, um, your house could be condemned. Yep. Um, you can lose your children. Your children can be taken away. I mean, you know, it, it, it turns into a whole nother scenario. I mean, you know, people in Detroit that are getting shut off now. I mean, you know, they, they're talking about this hepatitis outbreak and they claim like, you know, they don't understand where it's coming from. But you got people who can't wash and bathe and, you know, and then they work in fast food joints and, you know, community places where, you know, mm-hmm. being clean is critical. Um, but it's those same low-income individuals that couldn't afford to pay 
the water bill that are working in these places and you know the spread of hepatitis is you know starting to become rampant mm. so so the the concern of of providing that safe home for your family moved you right into uh, the advocacy work that you're doing currently yeah how how uh how have your children responded to seeing you become more active in this work um i know my daughters you know they look up to me my youngest daughter is you know she she's in college now and she decided to go into criminal justice Hmm. um you know she she started different uh groups within the college my son has actually organized uh, protests in his school. Mm-hmm. He's been on CNN and he's been on other things. Um, you know, we've done interviews. We've been on Democracy Now. We've, you know, we've uh, engaged other groups and uh, teamed up with other groups in the same type of fight. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so seeing this, and, and the reason I ask these questions is because for the person that's listening, that's saying to themselves, it's just too much. And I don't know how the support will come. It seems as if your family has been supportive of these actions. Yeah. And, and how has this changed you as an artist? How has this changed you as a person since getting more active socially and with the community? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I've started to develop, a, I guess, a reputation. I mean, you know, I've been invited to speak. Uh, matter of fact, I was invited to come to come to Lansing and speak to the legislature and explain to them what was going on. And that initiated some bills that, you know, they've tried to uh, to get passed because, you know, most people might not understand or realize that if you get caught trying to turn your water back on, mm-hmm. it's a felony. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's almost, it's almost insane to believe that trying to sustain your life, knowing that, you know, water is a is a life-giving, you know, substance, and that you need it in order to survive. Turning your own water back on, you know, is a felony. So they tried to decriminalize it and make it a misdemeanor, so that you know people aren't actually being in prison for mm-hmm. trying to live, you know. But that comes down to the disrespect that you see from the state. I mean, it's just it's it's been habitual. I mean, they. They don't care about the education of these children. They don't care about the survival of these people in these communities. They don't care about the necessities that they need. I mean, it, it, you know, it's, it's a cycle. It's uh, really becoming a lot bolder. It's not so subtle anymore. And you said an artist, a muralist. Yeah. Since this, what, what have your murals, have, has this impacted your artistry in any way? Yeah, my, my art has started to change towards more social type, uh, you know, art. Um, trying mm-hmm. to put out a message mm-hmm. um, that you know in, visually impacts people, and uh, I actually sell some of my art down at uh, Eastern Market, mm-hmm. and uh, the response has been pretty good. Uh, and you know, not I mean, black, brown, white, um, Asian, they they all you know they feel something when they see it, and they you know they they're drawn to it, and it starts conversations, and uh, you know they they purchase it. So ideally, uh, with this all being said, what's, what should people do? Because within this, that, that sediment of, I don't know, I'm defeated, uh, the apathetic sediment that does exist with so many people when it comes to social justice, uh, 
what's the next step what if you can give a rallying cry here what would you tell them i think what people need to know is that you know they they need to unite you know one person two people maybe not not so loud a voice but you know three or four or five or six you know the numbers make a difference there's more of us than it is them and that with unity you know you can make a difference and you can you can you can fight back i mean you know you, you can't give up to the point that 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 you get wiped out and and they're not going to give us anything that we do not organize to take because you know they, they take from us every day and they say we don't deserve anything hmm. and people need to realize that you know that there are human rights and that there are rights to existing and that you know just because they say that this is the way it is doesn't mean that that the way that's the way it needs to be i mean you know it can be changed but people need to unite they need to fight and I mean, it's not always easy, but in numbers, we can do it. Okay. All right. With that being said, how do people get in contact with you? Um, well, I guess they could call me if they want to. Uh, my phone number is 313-587-8303. Okay. Um, if they want to send me an email, they can email me at uh, latindragon at msn.com. And... Uh, I mean, I'm willing to help. Uh, I appreciate any help that can come my way. But, you know, from Detroit to Inkster to, you know, uh, Highland Park, we need to unite. And we need to start fighting back. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. 